Hi, I'm Liberty from the UK, and I graduated from Minerva in 2020. That's Liberty from M20, and this week we're diving deep into Liberty's story on humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast which captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Ben, and today I'll be sitting down with Liberty from M20. Hi, Liberty. How are you? Hi, Ben. I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right, too. Actually, a more honest answer to this question is that I'm all right, but I am also wearing a foot cast right now. Oh, my God. What happened? Because I went snowboarding over the weekend, and I I did a bit of a jump, and then I landed kind of awkwardly on it. So Oh, my God. I have been did you pers- break it? No, thank goodness. I, I think it might be like a minor fracture, so I think it'll be fine. I just can't put any weight on it right now. But turns out having usage of both your feet is is really beneficial to your day-to-day life. It was already hard to get out of bed before, but now I can't even hold anything as I'm getting out of bed because I need to grab my crutches. To be fair, I'm not having a bad day at all. Just that being like a small inconvenience. Are you, are you at work? Like, what are you doing? I'm technically on the clock, but <laughs> uh, I'm not working, as you can see. <laughs> How about you? Yeah. I, well, I'm waiting for a baby to be born for me to start work. So I'm sort of like... Wait, floating. please tell us more. No, so I've started a new career as a postpartum doula. So that means like, you know, helping new parents get used to their new baby and helping them like, you know, teach them how to change a diaper or get their baby to sleep and stuff like that. So I am on call right now for the baby to be born. And then after that, I'll start working with the family. That's amazing. When is the baby coming? Like this week, sometime, probably. I see. So whenever it's happening, are you going to be in the hospital with them? Or like in the delivery no, before you're going to just wait no, till they, after? They just want me to be home with them for the first night, um, at least. Like, so they'll let me know when they start having, you know, giving birth. That's amazing. Then, yeah. That, can so that's I, my news, I guess. Yeah, actually, okay. If you don't mind, I would love to hear a bit more on why you chose this new career path. Sure. After a lot, a lot of thinking about what sort of work that I want to do, the kind of all the intersections of what I want out of a career and a life. And so I kind of took a few months off to just like think Mm -hmm. and make some decisions. And then from that, I decided that I wanted to do a job which I could leave at work. You know, I, I think I struggle with feeling like mental overload of tasks and everything that sort of detracts from my enjoyment or my you know, like pursuing of my personal life. So I wanted a job that I could leave at work. I also wanted a job that I felt like was doing something good for the world um, and that was needed and necessary. I wanted a job that I could lead from the heart. So, you know, about, you know, it's not primarily about getting money for other people or sales or things like that. And I've always loved babies I kind of thought back to what my favorite toys were as a kid and I was like I was a babies person a hundred percent and I love being someone to sort of lean on in really like momentous and vulnerable times for people and so I found out about postpartum doulas and I just thought that is a career that I want to pursue and it kind of came hand in hand with I've been trying to pursue photography and I've been thinking through that but I I sort of realized that creative careers are really hard to sort of be creative in when you're it's a job 
you know it's like your primary income and you're often not reliant on your own vision but on the client's vision and all that sort of stuff so through experience with that and deciding that I wanted creativity to be part of my life but I didn't want it to be like my primary pick I decided to work in the same space with families and babies as more of a artistic motivation so I'm sort of like working as you know working on the clock with families like that's what I'll get paid for but I'm also sort of working with them as like creative muses and so I I just did a photo shoot yesterday with a family with a little baby and I'm sort of just starting that when this next baby gets born I'm going to do some newborn shoots with them and so this is my whole new career that it took like many months to think about that's so cool so you're at the intersection of postpartum relationship and child photography, which actually yeah. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. The reason I chose it was because I'm not very interested in posed photography. I sort of like put your arm around them and look this way and smile at the camera. It's sort of more commercial than I, than I like. So I thought, well, what could give me access to like these really candid and intimate moments? in reality like when is that going to happen unless it's my own children and then I was thinking I was talking to a lot of people and part of this photography group that I'm part of there's lots of mothers and they were like you know I would have hired a postpartum photographer like slash doula in a heartbeat because you're able to capture those really raw and meaningful moments but it's not sort of like the pressure on them to like perform um, which can be really daunting in this like vulnerable time yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, but that said, I feel like the theme of my life right now is being new at everything. It wears you down sometimes, but it's different from being new in a job that I don't want to do. This is a job that I do want to do. So being new, although it's scary, is like a very different emotion. Yeah, and it, I imagine it just a part of it that, yes, it's uncomfortable because it's something that you're yeah. still <laughs> learning about. And I'm sure that's just not a good feeling to be bad at something. But also I can imagine it comes with a lot of excitement and hope because you can see where you want to be. And it's so exciting, I imagine, to to see the direction you're headed in, in the skills you're learning. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of like a personal responsibility that I'm sort of grappling with is like, there's to a certain extent, I need to be able to choose to feel excited over nervous and like perfectionist, you know? Yeah. I think that's something I've always struggled with, but it's just like very prominent now is like, of course, I'm not going to be achieving my vision and everything right now. But it's hard to sometimes give yourself grace when you're like, damn it, that doesn't look as good as I wanted. Or like, if I don't know the answer to a question with parents, I'm like, feel terrible. But it's sort of like something I'm working on to just try and not feel so terrible. Yeah, I'm going to put a super quick pin in this conversation because I yeah. definitely want to come back to it. But before we go right back to it, do you want to just tell our audience a quick overview of like where you're calling from what did you study uh -huh. at Minerva just so our listeners who don't know who you are can have a bit of a quick picture in their mind yeah, of sure. who Liberty is and sure. where so she's calling from yep I'm calling from San Francisco I studied history and philosophy and sort of like the humanities except for my covered halfway through that uh, maybe natural science would have been my favorite major. I graduated in Taiwan, not unofficial disquin graduation, which was on the day that everyone was being forced to fly home for COVID. I managed to stay in Taiwan. I probably wasn't ready for Minerva to be over. And I also felt like Taiwan was a great place to be during the pandemic. And you were correct. And 
after graduating, I went to Nash the NTU, National Taiwan University, to study Mandarin for a few months. And after that, I got a job in a high school, working on being sort of like a media teacher for documentary film and like design. We made a magazine, we made a little documentary. And after that, I sort of felt like teaching was really cool, but I wasn't really ready to be a teacher of skills that I felt like I hadn't given myself the opportunity to fully dive into. So like photography and videography, I felt like I could be a teacher for the next five years of it, but then would I have given myself the chance to actually do work that fulfilled me? I sort of had this opportunity to go with a project on the US-Mexico border looking at architectural solutions for immigration. It was a very valuable learning lesson for me because I was working on that project for three months and actually found, contrary to what I thought, I was not creatively inspired in that environment. And it was very difficult to realize that it wasn't necessarily that I could do that work and 100% dive into that work, but that although I can be like intellectually interested in something, it's not necessarily where my creativity lies. Organizing Consequent, which is like this big graduation event. And through that, I also learned that event management is not for me. Like I I, I did it, but it, it was to the detriment of my personal life and stress levels. So through all of that, it was just a series of hard learning lessons that I just had to listen to myself about over time. And then that's where I've landed here after taking some time to think about what's really important to me, what truly creatively inspires me and how I want to approach earning money in the world. I have just trained as a postpartum doula, which is taking care of and helping educate families once they've just given birth, usually to their first child, about recovery after birth and also about how to look after a newborn, what to expect, everything. I've just signed on with my first clients for that. I'm waiting for a baby to be born right now. And I'm working on photography in the same area. So this is my, you know, what I've learned since graduation. Yeah, and I love that you brought it right back to where we started, which is the feeling of not being good at something, which I imagine with all these shifts and changes you've had over the past two years, maybe it's something that you felt regularly. I'm going to imagine that most people can relate to that. Nobody really likes to feel like they're bad at something. But the way I've been trying to think about it is that it's actually a necessary feeling. You're not actually ever mm -hmm. going to get better at something until you realize that you're not good at it. Mm -hmm. And that if I recall, if I think about all the things I'm best at now, there was a long time where I felt really bad at that thing. What like, things? I'm curious. For example, being social, I think my social skills and my ability to bring people together and make people feel comfortable and laugh is something I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. But for most of my life, I felt terrible at it. This felt like I was never going to be social enough or that I was never going to be funny enough or never going to be cool enough for people to hang out with. Was it something that you like actually worked on? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and that's, okay, that's yeah. why I worked <laughs> on it. It's because I felt like I wasn't enough. And I know there's a healthy way to approach that. And I think I'm learning that now, like beating yourself up and telling yourself you're not good enough is not the best way to go about it. I think a lot of the times I'm looking back and I'm thinking like, oh, the only reason I felt like I needed to work on something and then got to a place where I was better is because I recognized this feeling of like, oh, I don't like this feeling of not, not being good enough at this. And yeah. so I'm going to work on it. And I think 
when you find that, it actually means to me that you found something you care about. Yeah. And that's something you want to invest your energy into. And I think that's really cool. I like that perspective. And it sort of goes back to what I said about it's a different feeling. You've got so much to learn at something that you really want to do versus feeling that way at something you don't really want to do. I think it's a natural feeling to have when you're when you have high standards for yourself and when you're you've like gone through your academic career as like a perfectionist. It's very common to have that feeling, but when you really aren't motivated or feel uncomfortable with the actual work that you're doing, it's a whole different level of like not good. Whereas right yeah. now it's like, you know, you still have this goal and you're motivated by the goal and Although you don't feel like super confident, you are like still excited. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to just like, you know, keep that excitement going. And that's kind of what I am doing right now and have been doing since I graduated is like, you know, going into things without much experience um, and taking on things without feeling like you need to slowly go up the ladder. But that feeling of like being in the deep end is like, is really scary. I feel like it, it comes with that. I think it's accelerated growth, but it just comes with it. I just realized that I do want to point out that I'm not throwing myself into the deep end with other people's babies, not knowing what to do. <laughs> I'm not like faking it uh, right. to like, <laughs> parents and saying that I know oh, how yeah, to look yeah. after their baby when I don't. I have trained for all of that. I do like have morals and stuff, but <laughs> it's more just like the whole era, you know? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I totally feel that. And actually, uh, to kind of backstep a little bit, you were saying, and I really am glad you drew the distinction between feeling bad at something that you actually want to be good at versus feeling mm -hmm. bad at something that you don't care about at all. And I think yeah. you're right. Those are two very distinct feelings that you can't yeah. tell. And the weird part about it is that our entire world, our societies, our economies, our education system is built around just the end product. Like as like a kid, you were trained to just like bite it through and say like, just you need to get better at this whether or not you want to or not, whether or not you care about this or not. Yeah. One thing, Liberty, that I've always admired about you is that you've always been willing to allow your instincts to guide your decision, even when it's unconventional and even when it was scary. Like, I remember in your Minerva talk, you were saying that you could have gone to college or university, uni after high school, but you instead took a gap year, which I know is not like a lot of people do that, but I'm just thinking... Yeah. For you, as you're growing, you were growing up, do you feel like you were always somebody who didn't necessarily be drawn to follow the norms and instead let your sort of things guide you? Or do you think that's something that happened at a certain point in your life? I think it happened at a certain point. Well, firstly, I'd say that I think that characteristic of really having to think through what you truly want and acting on it is something that most Minerva students share because we all took the risk to go to an unconventional college when we had other options. <laughs> so I think it it's like definitely not unique to me, but I think the things that led me there were the fact that my parents were quite unusual in that they always encouraged me to make changes and big moves that were unconventional if I wasn't like thriving at school. I grew up going to like a little Catholic school and I was like really, really very goody, goody teacher's pet, like scared of social dynamics, sort of little girl. But I was also like really crazy girl at home and like was obsessed with adventures and playing and everything. 
So when my parents started noticing that like I would go to the library at lunch and not like hang out with people, they sort of had an intervention with me and were like, what what's going on? Like, do you need to move? Like, are you happy at your school? And I was really uncomfortable with the fact that like my my parents like making a fuss. You know, I didn't I didn't want any attention drawn to me. I just I was very conscious of like all of the social dynamics around me. I didn't want my friends to think like I was anything I just was like I don't want to fuss you know even though I was unhappy but then they sort of really made me decide and we applied for a scholarship to a private school and I got it and then once I did I had like three days to decide do I move from the school which is what I've known but I'm not very happy or do I like you know leave and go to this other school that was really nerve-wracking kind of for a 10 year old to like start all over Wow. Uh, and yeah. I and then I did it. And then three days later, I was in this new school. It was an amazing school, an amazing decision. I think that decision really changed my life in so many ways, because that school really nurtured a lot of things in me. But then unfortunately, th- two and a half years later, the school was ending. So like my years were up. So I had to make another decision. And at this point, my parents were really not caring about academics, not caring about anything, just caring about our happiness. And my family couldn't afford to go to the other private schools that all my friends were going to. So, you know, again, I would have to start again without any friends from my old school and everything. And I just decided that I wanted to, I couldn't emotionally deal with, there was a lot of other stuff going on, but I just decided I wanted to go to Africa. Um, I was like a 10 year old. I was like, I want to go to Africa. And my parents had lived in Tanzania. And I was just obsessed with the idea of like, an adventure and something new and something different. And so I I went to live in Tanzania with a family friend and went to school there. And then once I'd done my time there, like a few months, I did a semester at school. I had to go to another school in England. And that school was not a good fit. After three months or something, my parents said, you know, do you want change? Here's a solution. You could go live with your cousins in the countryside. There was a lot of decisions in terms of moving and thinking about what was going to be best for yourself and all of that contained sacrifices. So almost every time, you know, I, I lost a whole bunch of friends, <laughs> but I gained new opportunities and I went to a school in the countryside after that. I loved that school and uh, two years later I had to move again for some family reasons and there was just a lot of moving. So every time it was like a, a decision to make for yourself and every time it was difficult. So I think acknowledging that difficult decisions that will lead to a better life for you are important. And they're just kind of part of what comes with change and growth and moving forward. So I feel like that definitely contributed to deciding to go to Minerva. I didn't know all of that, actually. I'm surprised. I felt like I went to your Minerva talk and I remember it, but I didn't remember that part. And that's okay. So I want to hear more about that because... It sounds like you were making big decisions for yourself at a really young age. And I think, mm-hmm. especially grew up in my community, which is a lot of like Chinese Canadians or Chinese immigrant families, the idea of a child making a decision for themselves is laughable. But for mm-hmm. you, it sounds like your parents really encouraged you to make those big decisions. One thing that I'm thinking about is that, wow, now that I've made a few big decisions for myself, they paid off. And yet I'm still terrified of making big decisions for myself because it's like you kind of have to take responsibility and accountability for your own thoughts and actions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like going back to 10-year-old liberty or 12-year-old liberty or all the decisions that you made for yourself, do you looking back now feel like 
they were brave decisions. Because when I hear you say all of those things, I'm hearing, wow, you were a really brave child to say, I'm going to sack what I know, the friends that I have for the hope of a better future. It's all, you know, it's it's a myriad of, a myriad of different ways. I think essentially I had to grow up really quickly, especially when, when I was 13, I decided to move to Tanzania and essentially live by myself. Like I was with their old mechanic in Tanzania who was part of a local community and he sort of gave me a room in his house. And that was that, but we had language barriers. There was so much that wasn't exactly like 13 year old friendly um, that made me sort of grow up really fast. It was also like a really big awakening for me in terms of thinking about race, thinking about sex, thinking about culture. All of that sort of happened when I was 13 without my parents or without adults who had English as a first language or without women. It was like the influences of my life or men at that time. So I think about that and think about all of the things that that enabled me to do because I was a very, very independent teenager. I didn't live with my parents. I would get trains across the country every week. I didn't answer to anyone. I don't have that experience of like a curfew or even arguing with my parents because I didn't live with them. So there was all those things that sort of made me grow up fast. And I'm very grateful for them because it meant that I went on other trips. I would go to Europe by myself. I went to Zambia by myself, like with a group, but it was sort of like an opportunity that I made for myself. You know, all of those things happened because I think I had a level of independence that my parents curated in me by encouraging me to make decisions, not weighing in their opinions to an extent, you know, they didn't force me to do anything and they generally just supported whatever I wanted to do. But I think it had disadvantages too. It led to a lot of instability in terms of environment because I went to nine different schools over my school career and I almost always left a, a school and my group of friends after two years which meant that Minerva is the longest institution I've ever been part of. I think that's led to a lot of like the ways that I might interact with people in terms of like having a great time, but not relying on them, not getting too close or considering that they're going to be around forever. But in terms yeah. of making decisions, it definitely opened my mind and by getting to know myself, by having my own experiences and all of that sort of stuff. I also grew up and moved, not as much as you, but moved mm -hmm. a bit growing up. And I feel like that has definitely impacted the way I view relationships as well. And mm -hmm. I see it in the way it's impacted my siblings in different ways. Because I do think, obviously, the relationships we foster as children influence the way we approach relationships as we get older. Mm -hmm. And I think I realized that I've just gone really bad at saying goodbye to things and letting things and people go. Because mm. growing up, like I said, I wasn't really part of the decision-making process for any of the moves and changes that happened in my life. And so a lot of times it just felt like I was really powerless in my relationships with people, where yeah. if I could develop these relationships, they could just be taken away from me at any given point. And I think for my older sister, it made it difficult for her to develop those really deep, strong bonds. But for me, it made it almost the opposite direction. And mm. I'm curious for you, do you feel like growing up, regular shift in your life socially has impacted the way you approach relationships now compared to what you see your peers doing? I think 
I've become better at making friends. <laughs> you know, you get used to getting close to people quite fast. And that's been something that I've been really, really grateful for in pretty much all of my schools um, and countries in Minerva and everything. You can fall into a closeness and a level of authenticity and acceptance of people and all of that just like easily. I think the thing that I really struggle with is maintaining connections afterwards. Not that they're not maintained. Like I still message people. I feel like, to be honest, one of the most significant ones of these was the relationships I developed in Taiwan after Minerva, because it was a whole new set of friends that in a country where I had been for 18 months and then I left to, to sort of try and pursue sick things. And it's not, it's sort of this like guilt, you know, of leaving. And I feel like when you leave a group, they're all going to keep hanging out, moving on with their lives. And then, so you're the one who has to kind of keep in touch. If you're someone who's moving away and in many cases choosing to move away, for those friends who want you to be, be there and consider you a close friend and are like upset with, with you to some extent for leaving, you yeah. know, and that is like a really hard experience because <laughs> it is individualistic in some ways. But at the same time, in many of the places that I've been, I've never really been at home. Mm. So I'm sort of looking for that home, you know? I've moved so consistently and in Minerva as well that I'm like, is this something I like or is this something that I don't like? I relate to this question so much. And I yeah, don't I'm really... sure so many Minervans do. Yeah. It's four years, you know, of just yeah. like new, new, new. <laughs> yeah, I often wonder, am I, because when people ask me like, oh, how long do you think you'll stay in New York? I'll say like, I don't know, for the foreseeable future. Because I'm always assuming that I'm going to go somewhere else and try something new. And I can't tell if that's just me being explorative and adventurous, or am I like mm -hmm. running from something? Like, I don't mm -hmm. really know. You said you are looking for some sort of home and i'm curious what does that mean to you i think it's just i have felt so comfortable in many places like i'll just use taiwan as an example i absolutely loved living in taiwan i had a great community i love that environment i loved all of the things that were accessible i love learning a new language but at the end of the day i was always going to be a foreigner you know mm -hmm. There's yes. just no overcoming that in a country that like there aren't that many foreigners living there for a long time and, and you're immediately identifiable and there are always going to be language barriers. Yeah. And there's just something about that. And I think after going through Minerva, a lot of people might feel that is like you're, you're a passenger. At least for me, I've been noticing that, that there's something uncomfortable about that. And yes. for me, I'm like, I'm still a passenger. I'm living in the US. Yeah. It's much easier because there is not a constant language barrier and culturally things are a little bit similar, but they're also very different. I don't know, England, you know, going, I'm sure a lot of people feel distant from their home, quote unquote, home countries after going through something like Minerva because I don't have adult friendships there. How much am I an English person if I haven't lived my adult life there. I never yeah. really went to bars there or clubs there or really paid attention to politics there. It's a strange place to be. In. But of yeah. course, I'm looking for a home. You know, I'm looking for somewhere to settle down. It's just like, I think as uh, many of our students, we have so many like opportunities and so many possibilities and friends spread out all over the world. And we're used to moving across the world. So everywhere seems like an option. Yeah. I feel mm -hmm. the same way. I can feel comfortable in a lot of places. 
with a lot of different people, but I just didn't like the feeling that I clearly didn't belong somewhere. But I'm curious for you, like, can you put home in a feeling? Like for you, when you're thinking of that place, that vision of the future where you're like, yes, I found my home, I've settled down. What do you Mm -hmm. see? Yeah, this is interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot and obviously I don't have any answers. And (laughs) But there's two things. The first, I think, once graduating from Minerva, I really, really, truly felt the need for interior design. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I've been living out of a suitcase for so long. I need to see my taste, things I've collected, art that I like in my surroundings, and I need to frame it. And, you know, I feel like I've gone extra in terms of that need because of how long it wasn't like a an outlet for me an option so I think one thing that makes me personally feel at home is feeling like I've made decisions in my surroundings I've designed my space and then the second thing that's more of like a deeper level is I was just like reflecting on when I've felt like really at home and I think that's like you know the idle moments in your neighborhood as a kid for me it was like growing up in a little semi-detached like Victorian house on a on a long street where all the houses look the same and everyone's gardens are sort of like on top of each other's and you can basically hear everything going on in your little blocks you know you'll hear some neighbor playing music and you'll hear like someone getting a kitchen renovation and like sort of just like lying outside listening to these very very familiar sounds of like an English street is something that feels very like homey And it is different here in San Francisco. The sounds are just different. It's a city. So there's like, you know, police sirens and different birds and different things. Um, But I think it's just getting used to those sounds and getting used to like what an average day sounds and feels like in a place when you're not really doing anything special Mm. uh, is what I feel like is like a, a a signifier of like home. It's almost the things you don't notice until they're gone yes that's really interesting that's true because I guess at the end of the day yes every big city and this is something I feel like I learned at Minerva at a certain point every big city starts to feel the same when you look at the flashy parts of it Mm -hmm. like every big city has a public transport system has like a cool nightlife has cool like tourist attraction has like all these things a lot of internationals very ambitious people some sort of industry Mm -hmm. but if you take it really quiet and just go into the back alleys of the cities or the sounds of the city, the smells of the city, that's where you can tell the differences in the real mm-hmm. life. Um, okay, just related to the last thing we talked about. I'm noticing a beautiful piece of art right next to you on the wall. So do you wow. want to just tell us a little bit about the interior design that you've relished in in recent months? I could, but I also have to do the disclaimer that this huge, beautiful piece of art is Trent's and not mine. Okay. Um, but he, it was a beautiful moment because we both believe that like art is really important for a space. We both are happy to like spend money on because it's like, it's like the sort of thing that you take throughout your life. You know, this painting is going to be with him forever. So um, I think it's really beautiful to like have that like shared understanding and I've also got a little painting over there which is I'll just show you um yeah and do describe it for our listeners as well if you can it's a 
little painting of a little section in someone's bathroom with the sink and the mirror and some flowers and like toothbrush jar what is happening is there's a series of like like old style female divers with a red like swimsuit and red swim cap sort of just diving all around the space and like these like diving formations so like in a pike or in a in straight down or like flying across the sky and it reminds me of my roommate Tessa who she always used to talk about like seeing little people on things like imagining that there's just like a little person running around your cabinet or what they would be doing and so I really like that as like a fun little painting that you can I my goal is to put it in a bathroom one day I'm gonna have the nicest bathroom in the world it's gonna have a rug in it it's gonna be huge it's gonna be full of art so um yeah no it's gonna be it's gonna be a hangout spot that's amazing okay so the usually how we wrap this up is with a quick round of Mm -hmm. this would you rather basically and you don't explain just whatever is the top of your brain um okay hoodies or crewnecks hoodies texting or calling calling music or podcasts music dog or cats cats and if you had to identify yourself as a fruit between the scale of apples to papayas, what fruit would you be? Like the scale, like the size or the taste or... Oh. However, however you want to interpret that. Okay. Uh, I think grape. I, I love grapes. Okay, that one I want you to explain. Uh, no, no, I was just thinking like grapes are always like refreshing and like... Everybody likes grapes on hand. You know, you have grapes with cheese. You have ice cream grapes. Like, just, like, put them in the freezer. They're nothing special, but they're, they're good to have around. You're absolutely correct. Also, um, I don't <laughs> know if there are any any stoners out there like me, but one thing that my younger sister put me on recently is grapes are a fantastic high snack because oh. they're, like, watery because usually you have dry mouths when you smoke anyway and they're sweet and they're a little crunchy so it's like uh-huh. the best of all of the worlds yep. that you want when you're high and it's yep. a fruit so you don't have to feel guilty about it but you shouldn't feel guilty about anything you eat ideally but yes oh, also grapes awesome. make wine so that's oh like come on advantage. it's perfect it's all like raisins very versatile <laughs> those grapes can change their mind just <laughs> like me perfect perfect all right liberty if our audience wants to keep up with your life and your arts, where could they find you? I would say Instagram, but these days I'm like, ugh, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my Instagram is liberty.pim or libertypim.studio. And then, I don't know, Facebook Messenger. I don't know. I don't really know. The world, online world's a bit broken right now. It doesn't, nothing yeah. feels like completely completely good you know yeah the best way to do it is hope that you run into liberty at some point in your life and have an yeah. hour long conversation yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. or you uh, can email me i like emails hello at libertypim.studio emails are chill you don't have to reply to them straight away you know yeah i like that let's bring back yeah. emails well thank you so much liberty for being a guest on humans of nerva it's been a pleasure thank you for, so much for having me it's been really nice to talk to you yeah thank you so much Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofnerva.podcast for all of the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Hilary Tang, for working her magic on this episode.